in Luke 20. I'm going to try and get through most of the chapter. Luke 20, uh, verse 1 to 44. Um, if we want to get someone to read 1 through 8. Okay. And someone else 9 through 18. I'll read it. 9 through 18. Yeah, 9 through 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone 19 to 26. I'll take that. And then 27 to 40. What chapter are you? 20. 20. 20. I got it. 27 to 40. And then I'll go ahead and wrap up 41 to 44. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say for man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you about what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and said to him, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw, them, saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out in the vineyard and killed him. When then... What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is, that, is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. 
there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote, wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to him, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all who live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Alright, so we're going to go ahead and just start with the first uh, one through eight, um, doing uh, what we learn about God, what we learn about man, um, sin to avoid, example to follow. Does uh, anything jump out, or what's the, anyone got anything on that? Are we just doing the first question first, like what we learned about God? Or are we it would just be any, any of them, yeah. Okay. Any question, any of the, some of them I didn't really find a, like, example to follow. Some of them, so just whatever comes out at people. Let me see. Mm. I just want to be snazzy like Jesus. Like, they, like, kept trying to get him, and he was like, like, every time. Like, every time he flipped them on their head. And, like, I know that he did that in a way that wasn't mean. It was direct, but it was, it was, there was love in his heart. There was love in his tongue, and the authority of Jesus to challenge people back, you know? Um... Because I think a lot of the time when people, like, attack me like that, I, like, resort to a very, like, fleshly aggressiveness. And Jesus was just, like, wise in how he responded to them. You know, like, so. And then I also just learned, like, that's what I learned about the Lord is just his um, wisdom in helping people see the sinfulness of their question, you know, and like how helpful that is for their sake. But then what I learned about people is, you know, um, people feel that we are, you know, after being in Iowa, this place is so liberal and like the school like wrote letters to the Christians and basically were like, if we catch you proselytizing, like you're out and just, um, you know, just to be able to say to them, like, 
like just to be able to really feel a sense of my own authority, you know, um, like when Jesus, in another place, cross reference thing, when Jesus was asked like about his authority, he was like, the father sent me. Yeah. They don't know who the father is. And then the apostles did the same thing, like, by what authority or name do you do this in? Well, by the name of Jesus Christ. Well, they don't know who, they don't know Jesus personally. They know who he is. But just to have that confidence, like, like I'm here because, like, the true God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. So I just see him really modeling that for us, like, an unbendingness to the authority that we have. Something that was just kind of interesting, uh, Chris and I, we kind of, we read through this early in the week, um, but this, is, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, like, to Americanize it, this is like the Republicans, the Democrats, the Libertarians, the, like, every political group was coming against Jesus mm-hmm. and, like, trying to trip him up. It's like every different... Like, as far right and as far left as you can get, like, they were going against Jesus. Yeah. Like, Biden and Trump coming together holding hands. We're going to take this deal. Like, imagine every person on, like, a political spectrum trying to take one person down. I agree with you, Paige. As I read this, I'm just like, I think his answers, they're so wise, but I think they're specifically... They're really helpful to the people that are asking the questions because he's bringing them face to face with their own uh, like sinfulness, mm-hmm. and he's like really his answers give them an opportunity to see where they're going wrong and to repent of it. They don't do that, but it gives them that opportunity. Yeah. I think it's so wise. I think we learned like uh, that Jesus doesn't he like follows questions with questions, especially when they're not genuine. Like, and so I think, like, that's, like, could be an example to follow of, like, when we're sharing with people, especially if someone, if we perceive that they have, like, a, an ungenuine question, it's, like, we can always, like, follow with questions as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely a gift in that of, like, knowing how to process what a person's asked and then package it and come back and ask them a question to lead them to their own answer. Yeah. Alright. Well, if there's too much more on that, we can go ahead and move to the next piece, 9 through 18. I love this uh, parable here. <laughs> we learn about God, our man, sin to avoid, example to follow. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever really paid attention to verse 18. Did anyone like flesh that out? I'm sure if I thought about it, I'd get there, but everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I mean, you you don't got Jesus. You don't have anything. That's the way I see it. You miss that, you miss it all. 
Yeah, it just seems mm-hmm. like the Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be God, and that's what the Jews get uh, hung up on. And so mm-hmm. that's what they'll get kind of crushed by. Mm-hmm. And I think he also is like specifically he's a stumbling stone. Um, I think this could just be another way of saying that. Like anyone that stumbles over him is gonna have trouble. Mm-hmm. Sin to avoid, I would say, you know, humans have a tendency to, in their pride of self, miss God. Mm-hmm. Miss what he's doing, miss who he is, miss who he sends, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's still in us, the flesh still, you know, floats in our members. Um, but it's... Um, this is an amazing story to read in my mind. I'm like thinking about Hindus. I'm like, next time I do a DBS, we come here. You know what I mean? Just because, like, like, just asking them, like, how many times has somebody told you about Jesus? You know, like, I met this girl and she was like, yeah, this guy, she's doing this crazy story of being pursued by the Lord ultimately. And I was like, you think that that was a coincidence? She was like, no. You know, but it's just like, and then she stopped talking to me. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> Or like Fatine, you know, I've been talking to Fatine and just like, why doesn't, why doesn't like Fatine or all these people see like God sending them over and over again? Mm -hmm. I think the story also has to do with like the lordship or kingship of Jesus. Like ultimately these people just don't want to submit to his authority. And so like, that's what we, I mean, Oftentimes we don't want to submit to his authority, but even mm-hmm. just lost people, they don't want to submit to his authority. They want to be in control. They want to be kind of the ruler of their own lives. Do you think that's what it is? Is they don't want to submit to his authority? I was just saying that's what I see in the story. It, but yeah, the, with the Pharisees. Yeah, I think a lot of it is has to do with submission. So, a couple of like just questions that I had or like clarifications so the vineyard um what do we think the vineyard represents or or the tenant or the tenants of the vineyard the leaders of the Israelites so the the tenants, yeah, would be the religious leaders or the priests, and then the vineyard uh, is the kingdom of God. Because I had a question, I thought it was referring to heaven, but just a little different. But the vineyard would be the kingdom of God, and so the tenants uh, would have been the Israelites and the priests and those you know they're the chosen people God's chosen people um and they kept you know sinning and casting out the prophets that were coming to tell them uh to collect the fruit of the vineyard to collect the fruit of the from the Israelites with the, the kingdom of God and so God finally sends his son, and they reject him. And that's when God opens up the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. And that's the, the image of him 
leasing it out to new tenants in a way. Mm -hmm. um, Those are just like straight up fighting words for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we missed that, but like that's like. Yeah, that would just be like probably one of the worst things Jesus could have said at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we captured that, but he was kind of asking to be crucified after he <laughs> I'm not, I mean, like, I really, yeah. seriously, um, and I think it's part of the parable too. Like, he very quickly right after that is like the stone the builders rejected become the cornerstone. Like, he, he knows what's coming. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it seems like Jesus is being almost like purposefully antagonistic. Um, but he's just telling the truth, you mm -hmm. know, and it has to be told. Mm -hmm. So something that um, I don't think is quite communicated as much as I liked, uh, uh, this is paralleled in Matthew. Um, so it says in, in 15, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And then Jesus continues, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. In Matthew, it's a little different, um, and I honestly kind of like that better. I'm going to just read the parable of the tenants. Uh, so this is in Matthew uh, 21. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And now this is the priests or the people in the crowd speaking. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And in that, we see they kind of answered how they, you know, yeah, if they're been treating bad they're gonna replace those people and kill those tenants and then we see back in Luke when they heard this they said surely not they they know Jesus is talking about them and so now they're on the defense they're they're starting to click of like oh crap we are those tenants <laughs> and so now they are kind of back backpedaling. So it's like you can kind of see God's justice on that. It's like mm -hmm. even as he tells the story to them, they kind of acknowledge like the right thing for God to do is to take it away from them and give it to other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all the more so they need to kill him so that they can avoid that. Yeah. Fate. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually like security. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else Does anyone see from that passage? I don't know, I just feel like they have a lot to lose if Jesus is right. You know, they have like mm -hmm. their religion, their money, mm -hmm. their, their appearance, power. power, influence. So like, 
Mm-hmm. They don't want him to be right, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they lose everything. You're right, Tori. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They lose everything. They're starting to see that, and that's they're just even more scrambling of trying to catch him. Mm-hmm. It just is feeding that kind of cycle. But they really gain everything. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I sometimes feel like I'm okay, I'm losing everything if I'm mm-hmm. like, but really you gain everything. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that aspect of submission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was tend to avoid is the. It's not just that they they wanted to keep what wasn't theirs for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why they like wouldn't send back the fruit. Um, they wanted to keep it themselves, but. At the beginning, it says he had went away for a while and then came back. So it's like, in that time, they had time to think, mm-hmm. oh, now this is mine. Mm-hmm. He's gone. And that's the... He's speaking to the religious leaders, but that's also where we're at right now, where he's gone. We can't mm-hmm. take the kingdom for ourselves either. Like We have to have patience that when he does come back, and be prepared. We want, like, yeah, we want to have fruit to give to mm-hmm. offer up to him. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's some religious leaders in place right now that it's like actually probably advantageous if Jesus doesn't come back for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Or no? Uh. Exactly. Oh, okay. I was just saying, like, while, while we're waiting, we need to, like, have patience and continue to work and then not, like, build up our own kingdom for ourselves or, like, gotcha. say, like, oh, you know, God has given me this house, this life, like, this is for my own sake. So many of my friends who at least love them so much, but they have these big old houses, a collection of cards, like, six kids. And, they're, and when I talk to them, they're believers, but they're like, yeah, like, I don't want to just come back right now. I want, I like, I like, I'm happy with how things are going right now. And I'm like, dude, I want Jesus to come back right now. You know they're what I'm like saying? Lulled into, they're lulled into like what they perceive as heaven, you know? Yeah. I think I kind of, kind of also see what you were also saying at, being on a different aspect of, you know, a religious leader who isn't prepared. And, like, you know, there needs to be that heart change of, oh, I need to be ready. I need to make sure I have fruit to give. Mm-hmm. So I also see that, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's kind of like what Corey said. It's like, I think there's a lot of people that are living like heaven's supposed mm-hmm. to be right now. So it's almost like they have more to lose with Jesus coming back than with him delaying. All right, we're going to go continue on to verses 19 through 26. Um, again, trying to trap Jesus and taxes. Does anything stand out? 
about man or we learn about God. Yeah. I mean, what we learned about the Lord is that we definitely obey the civil magistrate until the civil magistrate is us disobeying God. Mm-hmm. Where are we right now? 19 through 26? Mm-hmm. 19 through 26? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to see, like, them trying to trap Jesus and, oh, are we supposed to pay taxes? And Jesus responds, yeah, if the government is over place of you, do what the government says, but also give to God what is God's. Are you on the God question? Just any... But what is Caesar's is God's too, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So I wonder why it's different there, because he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but also at the end of the day, it's God's, because nobody has anything. But he's honoring Caesar. I think it's just... I don't know about understanding your question. Sorry. Jesus well, says, give to... Yeah. I, I, what she's saying is, Everything that is God's. Mm-hmm. So, how how can like our income, like our our income, everything that we have is from God. Mm-hmm. So then, who's to say part of our income it belongs to the U.S. government? Essentially, mm-hmm. I think it's just I don't know. Um, there's a hierarchy of power. And there's systems in place, whether we like those systems or not. Mm-hmm. Wherever we're placed, if we're placed under that system, we're to give to what legal system is uh, ahead of us. But we're, the main point would be to render those things that belong to God. Mm-hmm. think does that help or do you have anything to add to that Chris yeah I think it would be helpful to ask the question when he says render to God the things that are God what exactly is he talking about and uh, I think you could say the denarius belongs to God but I don't think that's what Jesus is putting his finger on mm-hmm. I think he's more putting his finger on uh, I think it's in Matthew again when he's rebuking the Pharisees but he pretty much is like um, you tithe, mint, dill, all these things, but you neglect the weightier parts of the law, which is like justice, mercy, righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so I think what God, what Jesus is pointing out here is, like if Caesar wants to charge you taxes, that's fine. Like he gives you the coins too. You can just give them back to him. But the things that belong to God are like obeying the Lord, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. showing mercy, showing righteousness and justice to people. Mm-hmm. Those are what he cares about. Mm. This could totally be wrong, but I've never paid attention to how that could relate to the parable above it. Because essentially the tenants are not giving to the man that planted the vineyard the things that are his, mm-hmm. which is a whole parable about 
what God has given in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so there's relationship to like what comes directly above it. Like they're not giving the coins back to Caesar that he's given them. But then in the parable that he just mm-hmm. told above, the fruit of the kingdom of God or like what God is doing, they're not giving it back to him either. And so I think it might be a way of relating both of those things together um, and calling them out for both again. So what's the fruit of the kingdom of God? Being the hands and feet of Christ, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Loving, loving the Lord your God by your heart and loving others like yourselves. Mm-hmm. Justice, mercy, righteousness, those kind of things. Those are the fruit of the kingdom. There's too much more for that. Um, has anyone got a final comment? Or are we good to transition to the next piece? I think it's interesting was that they're just trying to, the Pharisees are just trying to like use anything to trap him and to get him mm-hmm. stuck. And not that, you know, the taxes aren't seen as like important, but he's it's like like you were saying, Chris, it's not like he's not willing to die on that hill. Like this is not the the thing he's willing to die on. And also it's like literally, but also it's like um what's not important is like these the fine print, you know, it's like what is going on in your heart. And so he's kind of just like it's almost like it's like like why are you wasting my time with these silly yeah. questions, you know? But I'll still use it to show God's glory. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's just interesting. Like, the Pharisees are just grasping their straws to get anything for him to say something where they feel like, oh, now we can arrest him. That's it. That's the last straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even so, like, they're so certain in, up, um, in verse 19, you know, like, all right, they're clearly speaking against us, we'll arrest him, but they're still afraid to do so of the people and that just shows like the, sh- the power of like the people following Jesus mm-hmm. afraid to see what will happen alright so moving to 27 through 40 come to the Sadducees asking this question about a wife and seven husbands Um, Do we read the passage? Yeah. Okay. So, something to keep in mind. I so I I don't know. I I didn't look up yesterday or early this week, uh, fully what the Sadducees believe, but the biggest thing to look at, I think, is just verse twenty-seven. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. Hmm. So. Just looking at it from that context, these are people who don't believe in a resurrection, and they're asking him a question about the resurrection. Um, they're almost making a mockery of it. And so this question, it may have been hypothetical. It may have been an actual instance that happened. There, 
wasn't really any confirmation of whether this actually happened or not. But they're kind of making a mockery of the resurrection. And they come up with this crazy example of, okay, this woman who has seven husbands, who does she belong to in the resurrection? And this is their... Yeah, they're mocking the resurrection, essentially. I feel like Jesus' answer to them is confusing. I don't know, I just feel like he could have been a little bit... Because I, I guess I know the point of it, because Austin told me the point of it, because we talked about it, so I'm not going to say it. But... <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like Jesus could have been a little clear. I guess, I don't know, he just speaks in, like... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Riddles, almost. <laughs> yeah. I think in a way, though, it's helpful because there's so much that we don't know about, like, the kingdom to come. And he's, mm-hmm. like, telling us, like, you can be sure of this, that there's not marrying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, like, in a way, there's, like, a helpful insight. So, like, okay, well, we can know that the age to come is like this. So has anyone got anything else before I kind of jump in on it? Isn't it, in verse 36, it says, because they are equal, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are the sons of God. Uh, is there not another passage saying, like, we're going to be, like, above the angels? <coughs> or am I totally false about that? It says it will judge angels. Okay. Which means, I guess. I think he's primarily talking about the angels that rebelled against God. Okay. Like, in the last day, like, we'll essentially be standing with God in judgment over them. Okay, okay. I don't necessarily think it's saying, like... We're above them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's confusing, though. I think angels just in general are confusing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Alright, so... Um, starting with Jesus' response, starting in verse 34, and Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Um, kind of what Jesus is saying here is for, for this age, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Um, the whole kind of point of marriage and relationships here is to to have to have those relationships to you know have sex and to have kids and you're raising a family and that's what the sons of this age do. We reproduce, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. So that's kind of one hand what Jesus is saying, but verse thirty five. I like to specifically point thirty five. Verse thirty five. Jesus says, "But those who are considered worthy." The wording there is just interesting because he throws that in there to kind of throw back at the Sadducees, like you guys aren't worthy. Uh, for the coming age of the resurrection. 
So he says, but those who are considered worthy to attain the age to the resurrection from the dead, those people, they don't marry, they don't, they are not given in marriage, they aren't raising families, they aren't having kids, they aren't having sexual relations with each other, for they no longer die. The, the, re- the age of the resurrection, our relationship is with God. Um, there are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Um, so I just thought that was just really neat how their whole build up for this hypothetical question of the resurrection it starts with them not believing in the resurrection and he says this question of a woman and seven husbands doesn't apply like there's no basis for this question I like how you explained it to me last night because I had a question of like what is in verse 37, it says, for they cannot die anymore. I'm like, what does that have to do with the resurrection? And he was saying, yeah, the point of marriage in this age is to reproduce. It's like one of the points, you know? We see that in Genesis. Whereas in heaven, we're never dying, and we're not married, or we're not having, we're not reproducing. And so, I don't know exactly. Basically, like, yeah, we don't need to reproduce, so we won't need to be married in heaven, yeah. you know? And so that was helpful because we're not dying anymore. And like what Chris said, it would be really overpopulated. Yeah, we'd overpopulate that. <laughs> if we did reproduce. Yeah. I, don't know I guess it's kind of confusing though because it's like Jesus or God gives the command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth before the fall, before death enters in. But I guess the difference is like when he created, there was just Adam and Eve. But when the resurrection happens... He's already populated in heaven in a sense. Like, yeah. it's not just two again. It's going to be like millions and millions and billions yeah. of people. So, I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, to continue on with their kind of question. Um, so, Jesus continues... Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Um, So something that they, the Sadducees missed, what, in light of the resurrection, God wouldn't be the God of corpses. God wouldn't be the God of the dead, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. At this point, it's been hundreds, if not a thousand years that they've been dead. What is the significance of God being the God of dead people? So he's saying, in, in your question, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, there is going to be a resurrection. God is a God of the living. And so... Uh, verse 40, for they, they no longer dare, or verse 39, then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dare to ask him a question. <laughs> Are the scribes and the Sadducees the same people? No, they're opposites. 
Yeah, so the scribes probably agreed with the resurrection, so that's why they're like, oh, he spoke well. Okay. Yeah. So the Sadducees aren't saying that they agree with them? No. The yeah. Yes, do you have any other comment on that? I'll just say about verse 37. Um, so the Sadducees, they only believed that the first five books of Moses were authoritative, so like Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so like Jesus could have used any other passage from the prophets to show the resurrection, but instead he goes to Exodus, which is one of the books they think is like authoritative. And he uses that to show them from their own books that there is a resurrection. Um, so I think it's just helpful, once again, seeing the wisdom of Jesus and answering and um, even us, as we're like talking to people, we can use things that they might hold to to show them some truths mm-hmm. about God. All right, turn to the last bit, 41 through 44. anyone's got anything where did he say that he was David's son so this is, the verse is referring to Psalm 110 yeah. so, in Psalm 110 1 but did Jesus say circus? I guess we're just assuming he said it because I said he said it. What? Yeah. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ forced this as they say? Oh, so it's based on 2 Samuel 7 where God appears to David and says, I'm going to give you a son that's going to sit on the throne forever. And so all the Jews would have said the coming Messiah is David's son. David's son. Yeah. But Jesus is just trying to say that he's Lord here, that the Messiah will also be Lord, and that this is talked about by David. Mm-hmm. So that's just the main point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess why is that significant? Why is it significant that David's son is called Lord by David? something like in that culture respect like calling someone lord respect was never passed down generationally it was always looked up towards elders to those who had experience or had lived a long life so your respect was always forward to the older generation so here is just a complete 180 when Je- when David refers to his son as Lord. I don't know, it's like, because these were the Jewish people, and of course they like looked up to David to be like this great king, mm-hmm. you know? But like Jesus is saying, like, I'm even like, I don't know if he's saying this, but like, I'm even better. I'm like mm-hmm. the king, you know? Like, I am the Lord. I don't know. That's what he's trying to see, or like show. But he's even better than mm-hmm. 
David for us, maybe? Because mm-hmm. yeah. David's calling him the Lord? Well, and it's that David himself is referring to his son being Lord. It's just, uh, at that time, it would have been a very confusing thing to think of someone coming from your line as being Lord. You wouldn't necessarily respect or hold someone of great honor or respect unless they were already older. So for David to say, or, you know, the coming Messiah is my Lord, it was just a, it kind of flipped things in that time. But now, this hindsight 2020 obviously makes sense to us. So you think this is like pointing to like Jesus' deity or to his like pre-existing before David? Or just his greatness in general? I think this is David saying there's someone coming after me who is greater than me. What do you think it's saying? I think it's all the above, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So is he saying, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God God said to my Lord Jesus, is that what he's saying? Okay. Yes. And then my Lord is, like you could say, the Lord said to my son, like yeah. David is yeah. talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God is, God said to my son, sit at my right hand. Hmm. I just had to work that out in my head too. Yeah, and it's not saying like the Lord will say, so like you mm-hmm. were saying, is in the present tense. So it also is saying that like Jesus mm-hmm. was already there. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the past tense. The Lord said. Yeah, past, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is past tense, yeah. So maybe a stupid question. Sorry. Um, I guess I just don't get the, like, him questioning. I mean, I guess he's trying to, like, get them to see that they're, like, they're contradicting themselves. But, like, David calls him more, how then can he, can he be his son? Is, so you just like asking them questions to get them to pop to try to figure it out themselves, like he normally is doing. I don't know why this feels more confusing. He's trying to, to me. break apart their walls. Yeah. Okay. In this in this whole chapter, that's all he's yeah. doing is seeing that these Pharisees and the people that they've taught. Even there's other crowds around him right now mm-hmm. that they that they believe things that are getting in the way of them seeing him properly. You know, and it's like if I was talking to a Hindu and they're like, yeah, like all ways are the same. Like this, to me, it would be like, yeah, um, well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how is it that like what you're saying can be true with that? You know, just like kind of point blank, common sense, you know, quoting scripture and then asking like, so what, how does what you think line up with that? Mm -hmm. You know? It's like when I first got saved, I was like worshiping myself and like my life and my, and my you know, my um, enlightenment. And this guy looked at me, he's a believer that I used to know when I was little. And he was, I was like, I told him I don't believe in God. And he looked at me and he was like, then what are you living for? And it was like, <clears throat> like it struck me. Yeah. It struck me so hard. Like I was on the ground emotionally. 
Because it just showed me so clearly, like, I'm worshiping myself. I'm living for myself. That's gross. Ew. Ew. <laughs> I, think, I think the one thing that kind of helped me, specifically on that verse 44, is just to think of King. So King David calls his son Lord. How is he his son? How is, how is King David, who is this great leader of Israel, calling someone who hasn't even come yet, giving him greater honor than King David? So I think that kind of helped me see that. It's, yeah, he's calling his son Lord because his son is, you know, in his line, Jesus is way greater than King David will ever be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's significant because the whole chapter, they're just trying to question his authority. Mm-hmm. Like it starts off, where did you get authority to do these things? And I think the close of the chapter, he essentially says, I have the authority to do this because I'm David's Lord. Mm-hmm. So I can do mm-hmm. these things. That's about all I had. If anyone else has got any <laughs> last bit. <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get my energy out. So there we go. go. Can we just spend some time in prayer over the passage? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could do we could do like one to two sentence prayers. We can just keep popcorn.